electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm John Fort, in for Kelly Evans, and here is what's ahead. A tale of two industries and two consumers. The CEOs of Papa John's and Elf Beauty join us live on the spending trends they are seeing and how it's impacting the bottom line. Plus, tech's been toppled. After holding the top spot for months, tech hiring has slowed significantly. So which industry takes the top spot? Recruiter.com's Evan Sohn is here with the answer as we're counting down to tomorrow's big jobs report and Apple's big ad ambitions. Needham's Laura Martin says advertising is going to be the next big revenue stream for the company. She makes her case on what kind of upside she sees ahead. But we begin with today's market and Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. Hello, John. Uh, we are trying to establish a higher trading range for the S&P and the NASDAQ. A little struggle today, but 4150 to 4200 was looked like we were heading uh, yesterday for the for the S&P 500. That's the highest level since early June. So we're sort of in this new trading range. Same with the Nasdaq, highest since early May. Dow's not quite breaking out. And part of the problem, of course, is some sectors are kind of out of favor right now that are in the Dow. What's in favor? Well, uh, technology. Really, for the last month or so, uh, ARC's been on a tear. Flattish today. Tech's been uh, big demand. Banks have been flattish. Consumer staples a little out of favor. And energy is really out of favor. Let me just show you some big energy names today. Remember, we were about $90 on oil yesterday. We're 87 and change right now. And some of these big names are just getting clobbered today uh, once again. Oil topped out in early June. And really, things have changed significantly since then. So the S&P is up fractionally, maybe 2% uh, since the oil topped out in early June. Let me just show you that. Uh, technology's up 5 or 6% since early June. Uh, and energy's down 17%. So there you see the market clearly wants growth. It clearly wants more technology uh, and less to do with value and energy. Uh, one of the problems is oil company profits are expected to be lower in 2023. So big names like Occidental and Exxon and Chevron, their earnings estimates are actually going to be lower next year than they are this year. And the reason is because oil is expected to be low. Look at this futures curve for oil. We have expectations for oil a year from now at $82. Yesterday it was at $90. It's been moving down. It's getting there awfully quick. Lower oil generally generally means lower oil profits. So it's very simple for if you want to talk about the problem with energy stocks and why they're out of favor. Their market is sniffing out a peak in the fundamental oil story, that this may be the peak oil moment here in the last couple of months. And as a result of that, the 2023 earnings estimates are lower than the 2022 numbers. And John, that's a problem for the energy stocks right now. But if you're a big bull and you want growth stocks, you're loving this action in technology. Yeah. Which is the I mean, area you cover so well. It, uh, thank you. Is it kind of energy, oil versus everybody? Right now, is that the part of the market story that the idea that we hit peak inflation, uh, certainly in energy, right. and that means that everything else, particularly growth that had taken this beating through June, now has a chance? 
Right. It's, it's not just oil. It's really commodities. So, for example, materials stocks have been uh, lower on top of that. Freeport-McMoran, the copper uh, area. So the market is sniffing out a slower global economy, which means less demand for commodities. And, of course, you saw these lockdowns in China. So, yes, by and large, the market loves it when commodity stocks are down because they're the perfect play on inflation. Lower commodities implies inflation is getting more under control. That's why the bulls are so happy to see oil and other kinds of commodities move to the downside. Ha, huh, more under control. But does that mean under control? Bob, thank you. Despite okay. what you just heard, my next guest says there are two energy names you should keep in your portfolio. You see them right behind me, Exxon and Chevron. Let's bring in David Hardin, CEO and CIO of Summit Global Investments. David, um, how do you read what's happened in the market? Certainly this week, and I mean stretching into the end of last week, post-Fed hike, and not only what that means for oil, but what that means overall. Yeah, that's a great question, John, and thanks for having me. Bob has it right. Energy sold off quite a lot, um, 17% he showed there on the charts. And that's great for inflation. And so many, we've been advocating, we've been moving our portfolios uh, more defensive away from energy, reducing risk in energy, if you will, or exposure there. But if you're, most people still are gonna have some energy. And the best of the best right now are the Exxon and the Chevron. Um, you're getting a higher yield play while it go, you know, while, while I think the, the price levels as you showed today are already down a little bit. I think it's a little bit oversold. And typically this is when oil and energy goes down. So, yes, it helps with inflation, but that's not the whole story here. I think that we're finding a little bit of a bottom, a little bit of steady. I think it's oversold. And so for me, if you're going to have energy exposure, yes, lower than maybe the benchmarks out there in the world, but you have to have some Exxon and some Chevron. And Exxon's been doing some great moves in lower carbon. It has a better energy transition strategy. So these are very much value plays here, not growth, value plays here in energy. So. I think people are going to have some exposure here, and these are two great names to reduce the overall volatility that energy is providing. And so uh, have we seen peak inflation? Is it coming down? Uh, you say it's still running hot, um, and, and I guess we, we don't need you to tell us that, but there certainly is the, the feeling, the sentiment in the markets that things are going to change somehow. Well, I, I, you, you see that in the numbers. You see that in the turnover, the PCE. But if you look at the 10-year break-even and the two-year break-even, the reality is is that the expectations are still way more than what they've been in the past, where they were below two. Now they're two and a half to three on those break-evens. So I think we still are, are – yeah, we've come off in energy and commodities, as Bob said, has helped a ton. But the reality is is that we're still running hot, and CPI is still above 9%, and that's a problem. And so I think that this is not going to, they're not going to take it off. Um, Fed speak is going to be very active. And that's just going to, yeah, and that's going to create just better um, awareness, more choppy trading, more awareness that you better understand what risk your portfolio have in it. Because if you, the more you understand the risk in your portfolio. What more can the Fed say, right? I mean, (laughs) we don't have, we don't have the usual, uh, you know, time at the end of this month to actually, you know, get a hike perhaps. Um, so I mean, th- they were coming out pretty vociferously over the past few days and the market seems to have shrugged it off. Uh, we-, we still have some perhaps earnings revisions to go through. Is that what makes people stop fighting the Fed? Well, I think, I think if you look at the different recessions that we've had going back over the last several decades, 
revisions have been much more than they are today. So I think in order to really get where we need to be, there, I, yes, downward revisions are outpacing or outnumbering upward revisions, but clearly I think there's more to come. And so I think there's another leg let down here, and I think you need to be very protective of your uh, recent gains that you've had. Okay. Uh, we'll watch for that head fake, David Harden from Summit Global Investments. Thank you. Now, slowdown in ad spending has been putting pressure on social stocks lately. This, as Apple seems to be betting on ads as one of its best new revenue streams. That's the thesis behind a new note from Laura Martin. She is Needham's managing director and senior internet and media analyst. She joins me now to make her case. Apple stock, by the way, up 20% this month. Laura, this is interesting, not just because it's Apple, but also because Amazon has this similar advertising story where it's ads within its own ecosystem that uh, have a clearer line of effectiveness. Is that what you're looking at here? And really, how big a business is that potentially for Apple? So the TAM is about $450 billion, which would double Apple's total revenue. Um, their services revenue is about $80 billion out of the $320. So it would, really, it would really accelerate services revenue. And the importance of that is it has 70% margins, which is twice the margin of the hardware business. So it would really accelerate earnings per share growth much faster than revenue growth. And, this, and Apple trades on earnings per share or on a PE. How do you get that $450 billion uh, TAM? You're looking at global mobile advertising writ large, right? Not just within Apple's own ecosystem. And Apple historically has been pretty hesitant to really engage in the sort of advertising practices that would allow them to grab a larger TAM. They want to have more control, you know, less um, privacy invading targeting, they would say. Uh, and, and keep it small. I agree 100% with that. But we saw this in Netflix, who for 10 years said we will never do advertising. And then last quarter said we have to have advertising because growth is slowing in the economy. And advertising at such a huge total addressable market is sort of silly to walk away from if you're trying to create shareholder value. So you've got a $400 billion TAM at a 70% margin. Apple needs to go after that. And really the catalyst here is that since Apple has changed its privacy settings, a lot of its app developers are yelling and screaming because their revenue fell if they were ad-driven. So Apple is trying to step in and solve the re ad revenue problem for them, for its app developers that are ad-driven by creating a privacy-first ad platform that it runs so it's not sharing the privacy information of its um, holders. It will ask permission, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then that will solve the revenue problem for its ad-driven apps on its ecosystem. Okay, so we, we can expect to see Apple using its advertising system to drive downloads and purchases within the App Store, similar to we're seeing Amazon using advertising to drive purchases within its own ecosystem. But what's going to be the first signal if Apple's actually showing ambition beyond that stuff, the, the app download ecosystem, where, where that big TAM really is? So I would say that it's TAM, probably it's total, it's probably trying to replace a, out of services of 20 billion, I would guess 7 billion is advertising today, and it's probably down to five. 
So it's trying to make sure that app developers don't abandon iOS and go to Android instead because they can't make money on iOS devices. So I would guess this is primarily near term, a defensive move to make sure that app developers can earn money on the iOS platform or they're going to abandon iOS because they need to make money. So that's first it's going to be defensive. On the after it solves that problem, then it might move to the bigger ecosystem. But I don't actually think that's the I don't think that has to be the main driver of Apple's strategy here. It could just be to make sure app developers stay on the iOS ecosystem, which sells the next piece of hardware. Hmm. So do you think they will use Apple Maps to drive local advertising? One could argue they already have Maps as a potential search vehicle, right? They've got Apple Pay. Uh, on the other end of it, do they make the connection in between the maps uh, and the pay to actually uh, show attribution for a transaction? You know, the kind of um, jobs they're listing for are much more standardized 30-second spots programmatically. So what you're talking about is a very sophisticated ad unit where you're actually dealing with businesses and tying it to purchases, which is commerce which is like three steps down the line. So right now, I'm going to go with just sort of standardized 30-second ads, super simple, because Apple's new to this business. And actually, it's a really hard tech stack to build. I would guess it will take them two to three years to get into this business if they stick with it. But I think they're being forced to because I think iOS developers are abandoning them unless they fix this. Okay. So no competing directly with Google in the short term, at least. Laura Martin, thank you. Coming up, shares of Elf Beauty up more than 6% after beating on the top and bottom line, raising a full year outlook. That stock's up 47% in the past three months. The CEO is going to join us live with how he's managed higher gas prices, labor and supply chain challenges, and more. Shares of Papa John's, meanwhile, moving in the opposite direction, down more than 3% on an earnings miss. The CEO mentioning the return to travel as one of the headwinds in the last quarter. We're going to ask him about that when he joins live ahead. And as we head to break, let's get a check on the markets. You can see there the Dow down just over 100 points. S&P about flat. The NASDAQ slightly in the green. The exchange is back after this. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of Elf Beauty up more than 6% after beating on the top and bottom lines and hiking its previous full-year guidance. The company also saw a 68% increase in its gross margins, but said 
That was primarily driven by price increases to help offset higher transportation costs. Joining me now to discuss these results, Tarang Amin, Health Beauty Chairman and CEO. Tarang, welcome. So I'm trying to understand where beauty fits in this really weird um, inflationary environment that we're in. Because, you know, we heard Walmart say people are paying so much for gas and food that there's not a lot of money left to spend on other things. We saw Match Group, you know, disappoint. But, I mean, is beauty an essential? Or is, is the fit here that people are actually going out to meet actual people rather than online? And they got to put on makeup and that's why your margins are so good? Well, I'd, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, we're really bullish on the category. So even uh, you talked about Walmart, they called out beauty as one of their bright spots as did Target and a number of other customers. So definitely feel that consumers are ready to get out there and see uh, other people. And so we see continued strength and very bullish on both the color cosmetics category as well as the skin category. And then within those categories, we're particularly well positioned. This was our 14th consecutive quarter of net sales growth. We delivered 26% growth in Q1. Our adjusted EBITDA was up 46%. And then what I'm most proud of is we built 120 basis points of market share. So we're doing particularly well in a really good category. So tell me more about product mix. What's shifting in this environment? What are consumers more willing to spend on and view as less necessary? Well, I think uh, we're seeing strength across skincare and color cosmetics. And I think you know our unique position is we have this incredible value equation. We are able to take products that previously were only in the prestige market and bring them at these incredible prices. You know, a product like our Power Grip Primer. It's one of our top sellers. Uh, we sell this product for $11, but the prestige equivalent is $34. So we're seeing strength across all of our core segments. And I think it really is based on that great value equation. Second is our innovation engine, which continues to uniquely be able to put out these prestige quality products at incredible prices. So are, are consumers coming to you from elsewhere for that? Because it seems to me, right, even if it's a prestige product, if people are feeling pinched, maybe they don't want to spend that unless they're deciding not to spend it on something else that maybe costs more but wasn't as good. Are you, are you stealing share here or what's happening? Yeah, we're doing both. So we definitely are uh, benefiting from trade down from prestige. So I, I talked about our Power Grip Primer. It's an incredible product and at an amazing value. So we're definitely getting trade down from prestige. But we're also getting trade in from other mass players. Uh, I think our overall ability to attract and engage consumers is one of the reasons we built so much market share, one of the reasons why our marketing has such high ROI. And so we built 120 basis points of market share based on on being able to bring people from other mass brands as well as trade down from prestige. So what, we're beneficiaries on both fronts. What are you doing on costs? Are you still hiring? Are you still expanding your retail footprint? Or are you kind of pulling back in the face of uncertainty? No, we were one of the uh, unique companies that even going into the pandemic, double down, continued to launch innovation. We've taken our marketing levels up this year. I think in the last few years, we've gone from about 6% of net sales to this year, we're going to spend between 17 and 19% of net sales. And it really is focused on the consumer and that's the traction that we've been having. So we've, we've continued to launch products. We're continuing to invest more behind our brands and we're seeing the momentum behind that. All right. Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, uh, the CEO of Elf Beauty. Thank you. Coming up, Recruiter.com seeing some big changes on the hiring front. We're going to tell you what they are and whether it's a precursor to tomorrow's big jobs report. 
Plus, Warner Brothers Discovery on deck with earnings for the first full quarter as a combined company. A look at the key things investors will be watching for in the report. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. Visa and Caterpillar among your biggest gainers. Walmart and Chevron, your biggest losers right now. The exchange is back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome to The Exchange. Major indices just sort of bopping around here. The Dow is lower by about 107 points. It had been slightly higher at times in the session. The S&P down fractionally. The Nasdaq slightly in the green uh, let's get to Contessa Brewer for a news update. John, good to see you today. Here's your news update right now. The Biden administration plans as soon as today to declare the nation's monkeypox outbreak a public health emergency. That's according to an NBC News report out in the last few minutes, citing two sources familiar with the matter. The goal here is to increase awareness and unlock more funding to fight that virus. Jurors deciding the fate of the gunman who killed 17 people in 2018 are touring the Florida high school where it happened. The 23-year-old defendant waived his right to be present during that visit. He's pled guilty and now faces either the death penalty or life in prison. A lawyer representing two Sandy Hook parents who have sued Alex Jones says the January 6th committee has asked for two years of texts from the Infowar host's phone. Attorney Mark Bankston told the court yesterday lawyers for Jones had mistakenly given him those texts and indicated they include communications with Trump ally Roger Stone. John, I'll send it back to you. Contessa, thank you. Coming up, earnings season rolls on with Expedia, Block, and DoorDash all reporting after the bell. And they each have something else in common, too. They're all down more than 40% this year. Could results give these beaten down names a boost to the upside? We're going to give you the action, the story, and the trade for all three ahead in Earnings Exchange. Welcome back. It is time for Earnings Exchange, where we give you the action, the story, and the trade for three names set to report results after the bell. First up is Expedia. It is down more than 40% this year as the travel trade struggles. Plenty of pent-up demand, but inflation and high fuel costs have consumers thinking twice about taking trips. Rival Booking Holdings warned of a slowdown in the third quarter in its results yesterday. Will Expedia also be cautious? Christina Partsinebolis has the story here. And New Street Advisor CEO Delano Sapporo has the trades today, also a CNBC contributor. Christina, let's start with you. Well, let's start with the uh, three positives that are setting the possible tone. You had Google that said the travel contributed the most to its ad revenue this past quarter. You had bookings, like you mentioned, that posted uh, earnings that beat analyst estimates. And then you had Airbnb that had record bookings. 
However, there are three negatives, and that is the inflation talk, the recession, the fears of a slowdown, and what that means for guidance for Expedia. The second point, too, is uh, the foreign, uh, foreign exchange impact on free cash flow, which we saw previous quarter for Expedia. They did take a hit. And then the second one, which is a small one, but still a problem, all of those flight cancellations just uh, at the end of Q2 could have an impact on their sales. One of the two big points or numbers I'll be looking at is gross bookings. We're expecting that to be around $26 billion and room nights at $85 million. The stock, as you saw, was down at 40% underperforming the S&P 500, and you can see Airbnb uh, doing a little bit better. Shares are down about 2% right now. John? Christina, thanks. Delano, you don't like it. No, no, John. Thanks for having me on. You know, I think there's still some downside risk. Um, we still have, you know, obviously they were pulled, a lot of the demand was pulled for because of the uh, they got through the pandemic. But the big thing investors should be looking for is year-over-year comparables. And if you look at what they did in Q1 of 2021, uh, they grew 81% year-over-year, but it was still down below uh, what they recorded in Q1 of 2019. I think that comparable is really important for investors to look at. And as you just mentioned, what's happening with consumers on the retail segment is going to be a really, really important thing uh, for us to see in the numbers because we're showing cracks in the consumer sentiment, uh, especially for discretionary items. And we've seen Walmart and a lot of big box retailers talk about that um, in their earnings and obviously bookings as did as well. That's something that, you know, could be a headwind for the company. Um, and as Christina just mentioned, you know, big tech is also making a play in this area. And those giants are starting to gain traction. Uh, John, I still think there's some downside risk um, in this stock. Any risk, though, of a Pinterest-style surprise, right, where, where their numbers were actually bad and the guide was bad, and yet people found a silver lining in that cloud and, and it popped. What would it take for people to get excited, even if you're right on the fundamentals? Yes, I think that if I'm not mistaken, Pinterest had a little bit to do with um, some other activists, investors, and different things of that nature. But um, I think consumer strength showing showing on the retail segment, which is obviously their long, largest segment, showing strength in that year over year, showing strength in the margins, that would be you know add confidence to investors that they're still going to do well throughout this time where we may go into some sort of recession or deeper recession, as some may call it. So I think that's the numbers that investors want to focus on. Okay, um, well. We got to look forward to that and mention, by the way, Squawk on the Street's going to have much more on the results with Expedia CEO Peter Kern tomorrow, first on CNBC interview live at 10 a.m. Eastern. Don't want to miss that. Next up is Block, that fintech player riding a six-day winning streak, but nearly 70% off the highs as it's been dragged down with the broader tech wreck this year. But results after the bell could give it a boost. Shares have climbed on three of its last four reports. Kate Rooney has the story on this one. Kate, uh, the fintechs have been having a good string. Yeah, good month or so for the fintechs. There's a few different sides of the block business, John, uh, to focus on for earnings later today. First, you got the Cash App. That's the consumer banking app. It's a Venmo competitor, and it had been one of the higher growth areas during the pandemic. Venmo actually had a pretty good quarter with PayPal a couple days ago, so that's lifting expectations for Cash App. And then you've got the seller business, which saw more of a slowdown during COVID. There's actually been a reversal in recent quarters with that point of sale payments out of the business growing profits a lot faster than Cash App. So we'll see if that dynamic continues. Also pretty indexed to small business on that point of sale payment and e-commerce side. And then for Cash App, way more indexed to consumer spending and just the growth area in general. So we'll see how user engagement looks. Some of that growth for Cash App could also give us a 
view into the U.S. economy. Block is very much still a U.S.-based company. And then you've got Afterpay. So this is the buy now, pay later business that Block bought. You've seen what's happened to a firm stock this year. There's a lot of fear around buy now, pay later around the consumers. So watch delinquencies as well. And then finally, Bitcoin. Jack Dorsey's big focus uh, when it comes to Block. Part of the reason they changed the name from Square to Block. The crypto affiliation, though, has actually been a negative (laughs) for the stock when you talk to a lot of uh, sort of mainstream Wall Street analysts. I know the crypto crowd tends to like it, but those on Wall Street really see it as something that's weighing on the stock. We'll see if they take an impairment charge, which is really just an accounting charge that says essentially if the price of Bitcoin goes below where they bought it, they've got to write it down during earnings. We'll see last quarter. uh, Part of the revenue miss was actually because of lower Bitcoin trading. We'll see how that weighs on results today. John. Block in the blockchain, meta in the metaverse. Those name changes didn't exactly come at a great time. Uh, Delano, this stock's block, uh, SQ, was at 79 a couple days ago. It's at 89 now. How good do the earnings have to be uh, to feel good about this level? I think that to be pretty good. You know, this is a company that we've been holding. And obviously, uh, a lot of fintech companies have been hammered um, over the past you know, year to date. And I think, you know, when you're looking at Block specifically, the big thing to focus on is obviously the crown jewel, which I think right now is Cash App. That's the, the, the start of the business that's been growing the most, you know, operational gross profits at 624 million um, in Q1, which was obviously 26% year over year growth. So I think that's the, the strong part of the business. Um, on the downside, which investors should be focusing on a little bit, is obviously, you know, economic downturn. Are we going to see any effects on the consumer? Obviously, afterpay acquisition still has to play out a little bit. Uh, but I, we're holding here, and I think, you know, better valuation. There still could be downside risk valuation, but better valuation than we were seeing, obviously, a while ago. So investors could, could be holding here. Delana, what happens to Cash App if the consumer slows down? Um, is it sort of protected in some way because of the nature of it and what the user base is, or does it take a big hit? So I think it has a little bit of insulation as, as opposed to Afterpay, right? A lot of their revenue, on the, obviously, on the Cash App side is obviously from those services, those direct um, instant payments is, is the biggest portion there. So I think those continue, continue if consumers have issues, especially in a cash crunch, right? I think they could still see you know, strong margins and profits on that side of the business as opposed to their after side, Afterpay side of the business. So um, I think that side of the business will hold up, and, and I think we'll see that in the numbers. All right. We'll take a look. Our final name, DoorDash, shares are higher into the print, but down 45% this year, despite dominating food delivery with nearly 60% of the U.S. market share, also took a hit when Amazon announced Prime member benefits with rival Grubhub last month. CNBC tech correspondent Steve Kovac has the story here. Steve. Yeah, John, a few things we're going to be watching with DoorDash earnings after the bell. First of all is that revenue growth and how it looks after those re- just this blockbuster uh, performance during the pandemic where it's growing just astronomically. So the comps are going to look really tough here. And not to mention people are getting out and about and traveling more and actually going to restaurants instead of ordering uh, from them over DoorDash. So that's one thing to watch. Another, growth in segments beyond that core restaurant delivery business. They're kind of diversifying now, John, in order to move beyond the restaurant business. So alcohol and grocery are becoming more and more important as people get out and about. 
Also, MAUs, monthly active users, how many people are using the platform and how many people are paying the, the subscription service DashPass, which saves you a few bucks on every order. That's another important. Those are the most loyal DoorDash customers. And then finally, this is similar to what we heard from Uber earlier in the week. How are they managing driver demand? Uber talked a lot about how they're able to kind of convert those drivers over from being food delivery drivers into uh, people drivers and, and moving people around. And they're expecting a lot more demand to increase into the fall. And it'll be curious to hear what uh, DoorDash is seeing on their consumer side uh, and de delivery demand, John. Indeed. Delano, are people putting on their elf beauty makeup and then ordering in? Or are they going out? Is that going to affect uh, DoorDash? Maybe they're putting on their makeup and going out and driving for DoorDash. And that's a good thing. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I, whatever makeup they're putting on, I, I mean, DoorDash is been trying to kind of put makeup on the profits a little bit. And and what they did a great job with, you know, increasing ordering volume and different things of that nature during lockdowns. But, you know, the big thing that we focused on is the profitability, which has been still elusive for the business. Obviously, when they went from $8 billion to $24.7 billion in gross order volume, uh, still weren't profitable. So that's one thing you have to look at. Um, obviously, in 2021, uh, they lost about $441 million. So, you know, the big thing now is, you know, consumer, especially on the DoorDash side, um, they have more people are doing more people are driving they have that ability they have to increase prices because of obviously the competition and margins and cost you know cost effects so that's going to affect them and then obviously on the consumer side you know if we're looking at a place where more people are going out versus um, you know staying in and then obviously consumer thinking about if this is a discretionary item or a must have um, that could potentially have some some headwind risks okay not excited about this one we'll see if it's tasty or not Thank you, Steve Kovac, Delano Sapporo. And coming up, shares of Papa John, speaking of tasty, down about 3% on disappointing earnings, but CEO Rob Lynch sounding upbeat about both the high and low-end consumers. He's going to join us next in an exclusive interview. The Exchange is back in two. Welcome back to The Exchange. Inflation is front and center this earnings season, particularly in the restaurant sector. Lower end names like McDonald's and Yum! Brands reporting a pullback in spending, while higher end chains like Chipotle and Starbucks say those customers are proving sticky. And we heard from another chain this morning, Papa John's, missing on both the top and bottom lines, but management saying they're able to target both types of consumers with incentives for more price-sensitive folks and innovations for those a bit more resilient. Joining me now to discuss is Papa John CEO Rob Lynch, along with our Kate Rogers. Kate, take it away. John, thanks so much. And hi, Rob. Thanks for being here. Hi, Kate. Great to see you. So we'll kick it off here. We're hearing from a lot of competitors in the fast food space, generally about the lower income consumer trading down in a recession. You said today you think Papa John's can actually benefit from that and do well in a recessionary environment. Tell us why. There's almost no better business to be in during a recessionary environment than pizza. Pizza is pretty much the best value you can get when it comes to food. In our industry, you can still feed a family of four for about $10. You can't do that in traditional QSR or even at the grocery store anymore. So we feel great about the industry as a whole and specifically our business. We've been great about delivering premium innovation that's allowed customers to self-select in at the higher end of the, of the market. But we also have a great value platform that meets the needs of, co of cost-conscious consumers, especially heading into a you know, challenging economic time. So we feel great about our ability to persevere through some of these situations. 
You just mentioned value. You're up about 8% in terms of pricing compared to last year. Not doing national value platforms could be a controversial take. Uh, you're also, as mentioned, the only pizza chain with positive U.S. comps, so it's clearly working. Will you stick with this plan if consumers start to pull back? Absolutely. You know, we want to meet the needs of all of our consumers. We feel like uh, a $6.99 price point in San Francisco is different than a $6.99 price point in Columbus, Ohio. So we allow our markets to regulate how they're going to meet the needs of their customers and how they're going to offer and deliver value within those markets. Our business is 75% e-commerce. That allows us to offer different menus at different prices dependent upon what, what market you're in. So we're more surgical and more strategic about how we deliver uh, our value platforms, but we absolutely have value to meet the needs of a cost-conscious customer. While we're promoting nationally our premium innovation, which keeps our brand front and center, uh, creates new and exciting ways for, for new customers and current customers to come back more. And you said today, this was something we haven't heard yet from other competitors, but travel is impacting business for Papa John's. People are traveling more this summer. There's a lot of pent-up demand. Explain why and what that means for the back half of the year for the brand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, pizza is a stay-at-home planned purchase. And, you know, there's always been seasonality in our business. In the summertime, when people go on vacation and travel a lot more, uh, we tend to see a, a decrease in transactions across the industry. Over the course of the pandemic, when people weren't going on vacation, were staying home, we didn't see that seasonality occur. For the first time now, we are seeing people return to travel and we're seeing kind of that transaction decline as, as commensurately with that. So it's actually good news, though. It means people are getting back to normal. It means we're moving forward, moving out of the pandemic. And our ability to continue to sustain positive transactions despite the, having the toughest comps in the industry year over year is an indication that we're ready to, to continue to outperform uh, during these changing times. Hey, Rob, it's John Fort. You mentioned on the call that food basket costs were up 18 percent in the quarter and that labor is still expensive. 800 basis points of headwind for a corporate restaurant uh, year over year because of that. But is the labor market loosening up at all for you? Yes, we are seeing some improvement in our ability to recruit and retain employees. Uh, we have worked really hard to keep our employees safe throughout the pandemic. Obviously, staffing has been a challenge for the last two years. But as things open back up and people become more comfortable with coming back to work, we are seeing our, uh, our restaurants staffed more appropriately. Now, that being said, we're not all the way to bright. It's always a challenging you know, business for, for labor, but we're definitely seeing some improvement on that front. Rob Lynch, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to see you. Thank you, Kate. Great to see you as well. John, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you again. And still ahead, with companies like Google and Microsoft slowing hiring, it might be no surprise that tech's no longer the most in-demand industry. We're going to dig into the new data from Recruiter.com about what's replaced IT at the top spot and how job seeker sentiment is changing. That's next. Welcome back. Breaking news out of the Fed. Steve Leisman has it. Steve? Hey, uh, John, thanks. Uh, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester in a uh, meeting with reporters just reiterating her call that she sees rates going up above 4%. That is the Fed funds rates. It's something she has said, something she penciled in in the June summary of economic projections. It is interesting she holds to it now. 
um, even though uh, the market has come down quite a bit in its own projections for where the Fed is going. The market has a peak funds rate at the moment, at least the futures market does, of 340. She did say a lot of data between now and September when she has to do it again, and she'll be uh, uh, looking at that and perhaps changing it, maybe front-loading it a little bit more. She went on to say that, uh, um, again, she could alter that rate hike. And the Fed could pause, she says, in the second half of 2023 after raising rates up to a, a higher level. Uh, finally, she said the U.S. is not in recession, but the risks are rising. John, back to you. Uh, Steve, this is what, what the market is doing. Uh, S&P just climbed up a little higher uh, on this. Is this fighting the Fed? Looks like fighting the <laughs> Fed. You know, the market, the equity market has a mind of its own. It is interesting yesterday, John, that the bond market heard what Fed officials were saying, which is that uh, uh, th this idea of rate cuts is are, are not likely. But the equity market didn't hear that. As you know, yesterday was a powerful rally. Equity market seems to have a mind and maybe some fundamentals of its own that it's going through right now. John, in terms of repricing the repricing that it had in terms of the sell off and, and maybe finding a little bit more value out there right now. But what we're not hearing, whatever the reason, it, it, it would not appear to be uh, from the Fed and their rhetoric about giving up uh, uh, rate hikes next year. You remember uh, we had Daly, uh, you had Daly, we had Bullard um, and, and other officials uh, as well. Saying, oh, Kashkari as well, saying definitively this idea of, of, of raising rates and then cutting them quickly is probably not the best forecast. Uh, but the, the equity market is doing its own thing here. Mester, the idea of a pause is a little bit different from a cut once you get up to 4%. The, the idea that you hit the 4% and you hang there for a bit is not necessarily what's priced into these markets, John. So does this set up for a different kind of meeting in late August then and how the Fed might be challenged to message? Right. So um, I assume the meeting you're talking about is the one in Jackson Hole, mm -hmm. which is, I think, setting up as a really interesting meeting. I think the Fed's going to want to think a lot about its course ahead, John. And then I, the meeting comes in September where Mester would not sort of chime in on the 50 or 75. If you give me a second here, I'll see where the market is priced. I believe it was priced as a 50 most recently. Um, actually, you know what? It's kind of a it's kind of a 50, 60% for a 50 and a 42% for a 75. So there's a bit of a debate in the market right now, John, over that. Well, look, the main thing about this September meeting is there's two jobs reports, one of which comes tomorrow, and Mester and everybody else will be watching that closely. Uh, there's two CPI reports. One comes next week and one before the meeting in September. Hmm. So there's a lot for the Fed to, uh, to put into its models to figure out exactly where it wants to go with rates and whether it wants to project, John, this is the thing, any guidance at all, really what we have is this meeting-to-meeting -meeting situation, and that's why I need to pop on here with every comment made by a Fed official. Yeah, it's like parents where the kids don't listen. I know a little bit about that. Steve Leesman, thank you. <laughs> uh, and the Fed is going to be watching that jobs data uh, that Steve just mentioned and the slowdown in tech hiring beginning to crop up with job seekers. New data from Recruiter.com shows IT is no longer the most in-demand industry. Tech lost its top spot in July after a four-month streak, moving all the way down to fifth place. Joining me now with the industries that have pulled ahead and where the jobs are is Recruiter.com CEO Evan Sohn. Evan, does this mean the industries that are seeing demand for workers or the workers that are looking for jobs somewhere? I mean, mostly workers who, could, who are looking for jobs are finding them, it seems like. Well, thanks, John, for having me on, uh, on this segment. Um, again, the Recruiter.com Recruiter Index really surveys our recruiters. So these are the industries where they're relying on recruiters uh, to help them find the talent that they're having a hard time finding. 
So clearly at the beginning of the year, and this went really through March, uh, the IT space segment, as you mentioned before, the IT companies really driving the most demand out of these recruiters. Um, that's really shifted this past month uh, to uh, automotive, apparel, architecture, engineering, accounting, and business services, all of whom have seen uh, a good spike over the past month. The interesting thing, John, is that the workload that the recruiters reported on was actually consistent uh, from two months ago to uh, to July, the June index and July index. So they're working on the same uh, the same volume of roles, but have shifted their focus. Uh, they're following where the money is. The money is not really in overstaffing uh, the IT, uh, the, the tech companies, uh, but really in these other industries. Well, is there something that tends to happen when you see that sort of shift? I mean, it seems like it's kind of high dollar jobs, perhaps, in IT right. and software engineering. Not all of them, but largely. Uh, shifting to automotive, apparel, and fashion, it, it seems like a, a different sort of demand. Yeah, so let's also look at the, the when we say the tech industry is not the number one spot anymore, it's that the tech companies aren't hiring. It's not necessarily the technology jobs. You know, it's not necessarily the job developer, it's the customer support person. And what you started to see, and we talked about, I think, last month, is that the overhiring that took place as these companies were out to disrupt the norm, uh, they're them they themselves are now getting disrupted by the return to work. So you're seeing these uh, right-sizing of companies that overstocked their employees, that overstocked certain departments, whether it's the customer service side, not necessarily the high-tech roles at those companies. Mm. And so the, to answer your point now, they might be the same roles, these high-tech roles, but now instead of going to a high-tech firm, you're going into the uh, the fashion industry, the automotive industry, the business services industry, et cetera. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Evan Sohn from Recruiter.com. Thank you. Thanks, John. Up next, Warner Brothers Discovery set to report its first quarterly results as a fully combined company. And there are reports a big streaming shift will be announced after the bell today. Those details after this quick break. Two big media names out with earnings today. Paramount reported before the bell. Shares are up slightly despite disappointing streaming subscriber numbers, while Warner Brothers Discovery is up about 2% ahead of its first quarterly report as a combined company. Julia Borston joins me now with the key factors to watch in that release. Julia. Well, John, after its first full quarter as a combined company, investors are very curious to hear CEO David Zaslav's roadmap for Warner Discovery as the company is expected to report two cents in earnings and $11.8 billion in revenue. Now, first, there's the question of the future of streaming. Investors are looking for subscriber gains after Netflix's contraction. And last quarter, the combined company added 2 million subs for a total of 24 million. And just as important as the press release with the, the earnings release is what CEO David Zaslav says in the earnings call when we expect to hear his roadmap for combining Discovery Plus and HBO Max. Just this morning, we got some news of cross-pollination with the company announcing it's putting Chip and Joanna Gaines' Discovery content on HBO Max and CNN content on Discovery Plus. And the other target investors want an update on is cost-cutting. Last quarter, the company affirmed its plan to cut $3 billion in costs, and we're already seeing examples of that, including shelving Batgirl, which cost an estimated $90 million to produce. That decision roiling fans, but my my understanding is that an advanced test screening fell flat with fans and that there is, of course, an accounting benefit to taking a write down. John. All right. Julia, thank you. That'll do it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. 
Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 